Amen. God is good. Thank you for coming. Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward the holy temple. The waters compassed me about even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption. Oh, Lord, my God. It's an amazing thing. You can feel like everything in the world's against you. But God, hallelujah, has the final say. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. I want to preach this morning a message that the Lord just dropped in my spirit a few weeks ago. And I've been trying to talk God out of it for several weeks. I have presented several other messages to him that I thought would be much better. And he was not impressed. He keeps calling me back to this thought. So this morning, if you don't like this message, blame God. My title is simply, The Link Between Sacrifice and Salvation. The Link Between Sacrifice and Salvation. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we're so thankful to be in your house. Thankful for the people of God that have gathered in this special place. It is a house of miracles. It's a place that we proclaim the name of Jesus. I pray that you would anoint our lips to speak without fear or favor. I pray that you would anoint our mind to speak with clarity. I pray that you would anoint hearts and minds to receive your word. Let it go into our innermost being and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. The story of Jonah is an interesting one. For all of Jonah's shortcomings, he had a, a revelation that is an everlasting principle that's well established throughout the Word of God. Uh, Jonah had been called of God to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, which was a very, um, uh, it was a very hostile place. Uh, this nation was known for their atrocities. Uh, they oftentimes would conquer other cities and countries without even having to lift a sword. They would... Um, Historians tell us that they would uh, parade people with uh, cut off, sawed off members and eyes gorged out, put them in cages and parade them around the city to uh, try to destroy the, the faith and the courage of people before they even attacked. Many times cities would just surrender. And uh, this was a wicked place. Nineveh was their capital. And uh, God cares about everybody. And told Jonah, I want you to go and preach in Nineveh. And Jonah's like, I don't think so. So Jonah went down to a little city that's on the seashore there, just south of Tel Aviv, that's called Joppa. Still there. It's a quaint little place. And um, it was a place that obviously was a seaport uh, where uh, ships came in and out of the Mediterranean there. And um, 
he got on a boat there that was headed to uh, Tarsus. And um, I don't think that he was running uh, from God, per se, in terms of thinking if I go to Tarsus that I'll mess up heaven's GPS system and they won't know where I went. I don't think that Jonah got on the boat for that reason. I think Jonah was probably running from himself, uh, just dealing with the shame and the pain of knowing that God had called him to do something and he wasn't fulfilling it and I just need to clear my head. I just want to get away and uh, try to sort all this out. And um, he said, I, I'm just, I'm going to go on a cruise. I think a cruise would really help me. <laughs> I, I won't ask how many of you have ever had that thought before, but uh, I, I'm sure it's uh, come across your mind that I just need a cruise right now, you know. And uh, so he thought he could uh, just go on a cruise. But the problem is you can't get away from yourself. I've seen people move and think, you know, if I just move to this location, everything will be different. But guess what? You still got you to deal with, no matter where you go. And so this is probably where Jonah was. He went down there and got on that boat, and he got out in that sea, and all of a sudden they got in a big storm. And the storm was because of him. And uh, he told his fellow shipmates that it was because of him. And at first glance, you would think, well, this is pretty narcissistic that this individual would say, this storm is because of me. I mean, you think all the storms are because of you? Who do you think you are? I mean, but he was right. It, this storm was because of Jonah. And he told his, his uh, fellow passengers that. He said, if you just, if y'all will just throw me overboard, uh, the storm will quit. And uh, he knew that this storm was because of his disobedience. And um, he also knew that the only way that they would be saved was to sacrifice him. He had a revelation, even way back there, that salvation and sacrifice is linked together. He knew that if they would just cast him over, that they would all be saved. We pick up the narrative in the first chapter of Job, verse 12, and he said unto them, referring to his fellow passengers, take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. And it's interesting that though these mariners did not know Jonah per se, uh, they did not want to throw him into the sea. No doubt they knew that it would be his certain death if they throw him overboard. So they resisted his advice. They tried to solve this with their own strength. Verse 13 tells us, nevertheless, the men rowed hard. Back then, you know, it was a lot of men rowing to bring it to the land. But they could not, for the sea rotted was tempestuous against them. I mean, they were working with their natural strength against a supernatural hand of God. That's always a difficult position to be in. We're going to talk more about that tonight. But look at what verse 14 says. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. These mariners recognized they were between a rock and a hard spot because if this storm was of God, then Jonah was the problem, then they would have to cast him over. But then on the other hand, if they cast him over and he was just an innocent man, then his blood would be upon them. So they prayed. They had to somehow come together, have a meeting, and they prayed. They were 
not believers per se, but they did understand that the innocent blood would be on their hands if indeed this was not a sacrifice for their salvation. So they prayed and they said, God, don't allow this man's innocent blood to be upon us. And they cast him in the sea, no doubt believing he would die. Now, here's what's interesting about this story. When they prayed this prayer, the sea did not calm down. The storm did not go away. Let me break it down for you. Their prayers did not bring deliverance. I want that to sink in for just a moment. Their prayers did not bring deliverance. It was only when they sacrificed Jonah that salvation came. So they look up Jonah. I love verse 15. I mean, they had to go find him. He was not known as being the bravest man in the world. And if you read all of Jonah, you'll see that throughout the narrative of his life. But he must have gone and hid after they, you know, started having this meeting and looking for him. They took up Jonah, One fifteen says. Another narrative says they looked up Jonah, another translation, and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. I mean, as soon as they cast him overboard, the sea stopped from raging. They had to offer a sacrifice. And Jonah was the sacrifice. And when they did, they were safe. Now the definition of salvation, whenever you look at this from Webster's Dictionary online, it simply says the preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. The preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. Verse 16 says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. I mean, after they saw this, it was not coincidence. As soon as he was cast overboard, the sea stopped raging. And they offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, verse 16 says, and made vows. These hardcore sailors begin to sacrifice unto the Lord and make vows. They begin to make commitments in their own life. I think it's important to extract that principle from this story. It's very important for us today that you and I recognize that we must make vows and commitments. Yes, commitments that even involve sacrifice. You've got to make them in your own life on a daily basis to stay close to the saving hand of God. If there is anything that draws us away from salvation, it is a lack of sacrifice. But all throughout this Word of God from cover to cover, there is an everlasting principle that is true even today in 2022. And it is this, that you and I must have a sacrifice if we're going to be saved. I said we must have a sacrifice if we're going to be saved. 
We want to be saved, but we want to be saved on our own terms. But I've come to tell you, it's going to take a sacrifice. It's going to take saying, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. There's going to be some times where you've got to follow biblical principle when you would much rather do something else. But oh, if you'll sacrifice what you'd rather do than what God says to do. I've come to tell you that salvation is nigh unto thee. Verse 17 says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish. I want you to stop and think about this for just a moment. The Lord created a special fish just for Jonah. Now I've heard this preached about Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the whale. The Bible doesn't say Jonah and the whale. The Bible says a great fish. And it says he prepared a great fish. You know what I believe happened? You say, Pastor, do you really believe that a fish swallowed Jonah? Yes, I do from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. You know why? Because the Bible says it. And we're not cafeteria Christians that can pick the parts that we like and discard the parts that we don't like. It's either all true or it's all a lie. But God that created every living creature on this earth created a special submarine fish just for Jonah. You say, how did he breathe down there? I don't know. God made it somehow where he could live down there with all seaweed around his head and everything else that was going on in the belly of that great fish. But God made a fish that man could live in for three days and three nights. And he made it just for Jonah. Because he cared about Jonah, even though Jonah was not in the will of God. Don't you know that if God can create a special fish for a man who was out of the will of God, don't you know that God can work in your impossible situation? You say, oh, pastor, I got big problems. I, I, I don't have some small problems that we can just say a little prayer over. Oh, my friend, I've come to tell you, you serve a great God. He can do anything. Nothing is impossible with my God. If He can create a special fish for one man, He can work it out in your life. He can save your marriage. He can heal your body. He can bring your child back to his right mind. Come on, somebody. God's got something special prepared for you. I wonder how many... Special miracles God has prepared for each and every one of us that we have missed out on because we were afraid of the sacrifice. Jonah is thrown over in a great fish that God has prepared, swallows him up. This sacrifice, it brought salvation to those people that were on the boat. But here's what's so interesting about the God that you and I serve. He not only brought salvation to the ones who made the sacrifice, but He also brought salvation to the sacrifice. He brought salvation on both sides of the equation. Not only was there a way of escape for the people that were on the boat, and that was the sacrifice of Jonah, but He also created a way of escape for Jonah as well. My friend, God saves the sacrifice. This reminds me of 
the parallel I see with Abraham whenever the Lord told Abraham to take thy son, thy only son Isaac, to the top of Mount Moriah and to offer him as a sacrifice. This had been a, a promise of God. This did not make sense. But this was for the salvation of Abraham. God wanted to know from Abraham, do you love the originator, the giver of the promise more than the promise itself? Oh, my friend, it's the same question that he asked Peter. Lovest thou me more than these? Your God wants to know, do you love the blessing more or do you love the originator of the blessing? Do you love the blessor or the blessing? I would admonish you today in the Holy Ghost uh, that you fall in love uh, with the blessor because the blessings may dissipate. But oh, if you can put the Lord first, uh, there's more blessings where that came from. Oh, His mercy, His goodness, it renews every day. And so the test for Abraham was, will you sacrifice your son? And so... Abraham had this test, and the test was one that he passed. But here's what's interesting. God not only saved Abraham, made him the father of the faithful, but he had also prepared a way of escape for Isaac. He had already prepared a substitute, because on the other side of Mount Moriah, as Abraham was taking his son to the top of that mountain to offer as a sacrifice, that ram was coming up the other side of the mountain. God had already prepared not just salvation for Abraham, but salvation for the sacrifice as well. Samuel's parents sacrificed being with Samuel. When Samuel was just a young boy, they placed him in the temple with Eli. Eli the high priest. Hannah had not been able to have children. And, and once a year, they all went to, to offer sacrifices at the temple. And so uh, here comes uh, Samuel's parents, uh, Elkanah and Hannah. And she began to pray. And when she prayed, she prayed so fervently that the priest thought that she was drunk. And uh, the Bible said that he marked her mouth. He noticed uh, that her mouth was moving and quaking. And he noticed that something was different about her. And he, he surmised that maybe she was intoxicated. This was the priest. This was the individual that after God heard the cry of uh, Hannah and she had a son named Samuel, this was the same woman who had made a vow, a commitment, a sacrifice that when Samuel was old enough to be weaned from his mother that he would go to the temple. She said, God gave him to me. Now I'm going to give him back to you. And so she followed through with that vow. And she brought him to the temple with Eli. The same individual that had questioned her own prayers. The same individual who could not even keep his own family in the church. His own sons lived a life that defiled the priesthood. Scandalous living. And this is the man. That Hannah is going to bring her promise to. And say, I'm putting him in the temple. 
I'm going to sacrifice him being with his family and being with me. I'm going to sacrifice all those months and those years of his formative development because I made a vow and a commitment that I will give him back to the Lord. I'm sure they had friends that said, don't drop off your son at the church. That is a mistake. But God, my friend, will save the sacrifice. Oh, I feel like preaching to somebody today. You may have some sacrifice that you made uh, that now you look back and said, was it worth it? I've come to tell you that God has kept you because of the sacrifice that you made. People may fail you, but God will never fail you. And God took notice of it. God saw that it was a sacrifice. And salvation has come to you has come to your house because of the sacrifice. You sacrifice your children by bringing them to church, bringing them to camp, as was advertised on the screens today, bringing them to a youth night. I'm astonished in my mind when I, I hear about the sacrifices that people make to make sure that their children are in the house of God, that their children are at youth night that their children are there for a practice, for a service. Oh, my friend, whatever you sacrifice will be saved. It doesn't matter what it takes. You had to make a sacrifice to get here this morning. But I'm glad you did. Because this is the house of miracles. This is the house of salvation. You may not have been running through an airport at midnight in Atlanta last night, but there was some challenge to keep you from the house of God. When I finally got on that plane from Atlanta to, to Melbourne last night, and it was about 12.30 last night, which I guess had become today, and I sat down next to this man, and he said, what do you do? And I said, I pastor a church in Palm Bay. He said, I wasn't expecting that. He said, he, I said, what do you do? He said, I live in Vero Beach, and I'm a farrier. And I said, well, what do you ferry? He said, no, I, I repair racehorses. He said, I've flown all over the world. I'm one of five people that can fix a split in a hoof. And I've been put in the Hall of Fame of horseshoe people. I didn't even know there was such a Hall of Fame. But he started telling me his life and flying to Europe and all over. And he's some kind of a specialty guy with uh, horse hooves and splits. And it starts to bleed. And, man, we got to talking about all of that. And, and uh, we were talking about what the hell happened. And he, he was telling me about his adventures and, and his two million miles with Delta and flying here and there and fixing horse hoofs and and we got to talking about this and that and then he saw that I was had my Bible out and I was uh, going over my notes for today and he said uh, are you preparing a hell and fire and brimstone message for tomorrow I hope you're watching, Brother Tom Curl. I'm praying for you in Vero Beach. Hallelujah. I believe God's going to save Tom in the name of Jesus. <laughs> he said, well, I'm going to go home and I'm going to get a little adult beverage and I'm going to get out and sit uh, on my pool patio. I said, at 1.30 in the morning, he said, I'm going to sit out there tonight and contemplate the mysteries of the world. I said, well, I'm going to tell you something. This Bible right here is what will solve the mysteries of the world. 
I, I don't have a hellfire and brimstone message today. All I can tell you is that if you're not afraid of the sacrifice, uh, salvation is going to come uh, to your house. Uh, if you're not afraid to say, God, whatever it takes, uh, I put it in the hands of God. Uh, I'm going to get to the house of the Lord. Uh, I'm going to make the sacrifice. Uh, I'm going to lift up a praise unto him. I'm going to offer a sacrifice of praise. The Old Testament had a pattern of sacrifices that the people made unto Jehovah God. They understood and it was a well-established principle. That sacrifice was a part of their daily or weekly routine. The Jews made a pilgrimage to the temple once a year in the days of Samuel. That continued even to the time of Christ and even to this day. They made the sacrifice, whether they could afford it or not. The whole family went. It was not up for debate. It was part of their culture. It was a sacrifice. This is who we are. This is what we do. And that's why even throughout history, and we read about this in little excerpts from Scripture, but historians tell us even more that even those people that worship false gods like Molech, they would sacrifice their children into the fire to those gods. But the difference between those false gods and the one true Jehovah God, whose name is Jesus, whom you and I serve, the difference between those false gods and our God is that those false gods cannot save the sacrifice. They consume the sacrifice. But the God that you and I serve, He saves the sacrifice. The reason those false gods cannot save the sacrifice is because they have no power. They have no authority. But your God has all power and all authority. Heaven is His throne and earth is His footstool. And I remind you this morning that if you don't serve the one true living God, you are still serving some kind of God. And I'm going to tell you what, you may not realize it, but you're offering a sacrifice to that God. The sacrifice to the gods of the flesh. It is a sacrifice. I was in line uh, last weekend as we were trying to drive back from Louisiana and uh, we stopped at a Bucky's. Have any of you ever heard of Bucky's? Maybe we should just have church at Bucky's. I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I, I was in line at Bucky's somewhere up there in, uh, near Foley, Alabama, and, and uh, we had stopped. We were driving all night trying to get back, and we had stopped there at Bucky's. And you can get, you know, the pulled pork and and uh, beaver nuggets and uh, and caramelized. Uh, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Pecans and and uh, oh my! And so. Um, we stopped there and uh, some of the young people got out and went around the store. And it's like the super Walmart of, of, of gas stations. And there's like a hundred pumps and they're all full of people in the middle of the night. I can't figure it out. People, I just, every, just people everywhere. And uh, so my son uh, Gregory was with me and he had gone around and got ahead of a little basket. And he had gotten some stuff that he wanted for the trip. And then he went looking for me, which is what teenagers do because they know the parent has the credit card. So he's like, Dad, I'd like to go through the cash register with you, which I know what that means. I didn't get a, I, I, nobody asked me what I want to go in the basket. <laughs> so when we went through there, we, I was, we were just standing in line. And I've seen this before, checking out, but I never had uh, focused on it. But I saw all the cigarette packs that were there behind the counter. And just out of curiosity, because I'm bored and I'm standing there, I thought, I wonder how much those cost. And they got all the signs of it. $8 a pack! 
And some people smoke three packs a day. And I'm thinking, my mind starts, it starts whirling. And I start thinking, that's $25 a day. That's over $9,000 a year. And I turn to my son and I'm like, I'm so glad I'm not addicted to nicotine. That's $9,000 I'm going to save this year. And my son went, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. I didn't get much of an amen, so I thought I needed to continue this message. So I said, what about alcohol? All the money that people spend on on beer and uh, on wine and, and all of this. And I said, you know what? That sacrifice doesn't save you. In fact, it kills you. And other people through DUIs and smoking and lung cancer. And then my mind just started thinking about all these things. I got to thinking about gambling. You know, through the lottery now, we've tried to make gambling all sanitized. But I was reading the other day where Phil Mickelson, a professional golfer, spent $4 million in four years. Now that's a god. The god of greed. The god of chance. I'm glad that I don't worship that god. I just saved $4 million. Pornography. What are you talking about? I'm talking about false gods. I'm talking about gods in this world. You can't relate to Molech. You can't relate to throwing your kids into a fire before the idol Baal. But you can relate to these gods. And they are false gods. They're not going to bring you happiness. They're not going to help you any. They're going to kill you. They're going to destroy your life. Pornography is a billion dollar industry. And that stuff's not going to help your marriage. That stuff's not going to help you get through poverty. That stuff's going to kill you. It's going to kill your life. Alcohol, cigarettes. I'm glad I don't worship those gods. I worship the one true living God. And I know it's a sacrifice to come to the house of God. But nobody ever died coming to church. You'll be saved coming to church. I may have to worship all by myself, but I thank God. Uh, Don't feel sorry for me. I'm not living in bondage. I'm worshiping another God. They finally arrested Ted Bundy, that guy that killed all these girls in Florida, some of them at University of Florida. They sent him to the electric chair. Some of you have been around here long enough to remember this. James Dobson went in there to interview him. What in the world happened to you, Ted Bundy? Theodore Bundy, what happened to you? And on the eve of his execution, he said, Dr. Dobson, it all goes back to pornography. You sacrificed your life, sir. You sacrificed other people's life. That's not a God that's going to give anything back. I ask you this morning, what sacrifice did you ever make to God that hurt you? The one true living God. No, rather the opposite is true. It will save you. Has anybody ever gone broke paying tithes? If you've ever gone broke paying tithes, would you stand up right now? This is your chance, because I'm going to tell Sister Richie to return everything back to you. 
But if you've been blessed through the sacrifice of giving and offerings, would you stand to your feet? That's enough evidence right there to win the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp trial. There's a multitude of witnesses that God is a faithful God. Come on, it's a sacrifice, but it's going to save us. Mm. You can be seated. Has anyone ever been hurt sacrificing your time by volunteering at the church? Have you ever been hurt by dressing modestly? Oh, but pastor, it's so hot. We live in Florida. I don't want to do that. I don't think it's necessary. Well, guess what? You're not going to be saved without some kind of sacrifice. I feel like American Christianity has sold a bill of goods claiming that you can have the blessings of God, even salvation, without any sacrifice. And I know you won't hear this preaching on the radio or in television, but I'm telling you what thus saith the Word of God. It's going to take a sacrifice. But it's going to be worth it all. Every trial. It's going to be worth it all. Give me five more minutes. When Jonah found himself in the middle of a big fish, he cried out to God. It wasn't his prayer that saved him. It's when he said, I will sacrifice. They that observed lying vanities. Jonah said, forsake their own mercy. I've read that verse before. I don't know that I ever understood it. But God gave me a revelation. They that observe lying vanities. That's the false gods. That's your own flesh telling you. You don't have to do this to be saved. Mercy doesn't come after lying vanities. Mercies come where there's sacrifice. That's why throughout all the Old Testament, they offered a sacrifice because they wanted the mercy of God. So Jonah said, I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. I will offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Though I am in the belly of a great fish and no one will ever believe this story. I got seaweed wrapped around my head. I'm in the depths of an ocean. I've got these bars. He was defining and describing a literal prison cell. Of all prison cells. But even though I'm in the middle of this, I'm not going to suck my proverbial thumb and feel sorry for myself. I'm going to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Even though I'd rather be somewhere else, I'm going to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Even though I'm in the midst of an adverse environment, I'm in the midst of a crisis, I'm going to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Oh, my friend, it doesn't matter what situation you're in, you can begin to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. You may have trouble at home. You may have trouble on your job. You may have a family crisis. You may have a situation of uncertainty that you're facing. But I've come to tell you through the Word of God, if you'll just offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving and say, I will bless the Lord anyhow. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Mess, but I'm going to bless the Lord anyhow. He's been too good to me. And the Lord, the Bible says, spake unto the fish, 
and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry ground. Immediately, salvation came when the sacrifice was offered. Because my friend, if you read the Word of God, you cannot unseparate. You cannot make it mutually exclusive. Salvation and sacrifice. They are forever linked together. They are part and parcel one to another. And if there was ever an example of sacrifice and salvation, it was in Jesus Christ Himself. If anyone ever born of a woman would not have to sacrifice to be in the grip of salvation, it would be Jesus Christ. God Himself manifest in the flesh. But His life was literally an example of sacrifice culminating with the cross. Because Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12 says, but this man, referring to Jesus, after He had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, which is a position of power and glorification. Not a literal hand, but he sat down in that position of glorification because of Calvary. He was our Savior. He was the example of salvation that came from the sacrifice of Calvary. And if Jesus is our example, what makes us think that we can obtain salvation without sacrifice? For Ephesians chapter 5 says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. That sacrifice, my friend, becomes a savor, a, a smell, a sweet-smelling savor. And that savor brings favor. And that savor brings salvation. To the point that Peter declares in Acts chapter 2 when they asked him, What must we do to be saved? The first thing out of Peter's mouth was, Repent. That's the sacrifice. Repent. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Because when you say, God forgive me, I know it's a sacrifice. But oh, it starts a salvation process. Because this sacrifice, my friend, is not a one-time thing. We develop a lifestyle of sacrifice. Jonah said something interesting. He said, mercy forsakes those that observe or give heed to lying vanities. In other words, mercy runs from lying vanities. That's the opposite of sacrifice. That's pride. That's dishonest pride. Oh, we love to sing that psalm. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. But we forget the rest of the passage. And I shall dwell in the the house of the Lord forever. I know sometimes it's a sacrifice to get to the house of the Lord, but I'm glad you came because mercy is drawn to the sacrifice. 
That's how they found mercy in the Old Testament. It was through sacrifice. They found mercy in the New Testament through Jesus, who was the living example of sacrifice. But one thing that's true from the cover to the cover of this Bible is that you cannot separate sacrifice and salvation. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Paul said in Romans 12, present your bodies a living sacrifice. You and I need to find something that is a living sacrifice. Something that is alive and present in your life today. And offer it unto the Lord. Offer God sacrifice of repentance. Offer God sacrifice of thanksgiving. Offer God the sacrifice of a vow. If a bunch of sailors on a boat can make a commitment after the storm had ceased, make a vow of commitment. What is holding you and I back from making a vow of commitment this morning? Say, oh, pastor, if I had really been blessed in life, it'd be, it'd be easy. Oh, my friend, you're blessed. You are so blessed. You say, oh, but you don't know what I'm going through. You live in America. Better than that, you live in Florida. You are blessed. How many of you drove a car when you came to church today? Did anybody hike uphill 12 miles by foot? You ruined your shoes. I know a guy down in Vero that can fix them. We are blessed. We are blessed. What a privilege it is to say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Sometimes we go through things in life and we get a sense of entitlement. Why am I going through? Just say it's a sacrifice unto God. Somebody's giving you a lot of problems on your job. You ought to thank God for them. They're drawing you closer to God. They're keeping you on your knees in prayer. You say, oh, but I'm going through a tough time. Guess what? I'm going to give it to God as a sacrifice. I'm going to say, bless the Lord anyhow. Because there's coming a time when this problem is going to spit me out. And I'm going to get up on my feet and obey the voice of God. Come on now, all over this building, would you lift your hands? And would you close your eyes and would you offer a vow of sacrifice unto him right now? Lord, I give you this living sacrifice. Come on, Paul said in Romans 12, it's our reasonable service. I present my body as a living sacrifice. Not my will, but thy will be done. Come on, right now all over this building, would you bring your sacrifice down to this altar? Would you step out from where you're standing? You say, oh, pastor, I'd, I'd rather just stay here in the pew. It's a sacrifice to walk down that aisle. But, oh, if you'll come, God will honor it. Come on, if you'll just make your way down to the altar. This is your altar. This is where you bring your sacrifice. Come on, bring it down here with you. Here I come, Lord. I don't understand everything I'm going through. But I'm going to give it to you today. 
Because more than anything else, I want to be saved. Come on, I want to be saved. Whatever it takes, oh God, I must be saved.